You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, I'm Lisa Birnbach, and this is Five Things That Make Life Better. My guest today is Kenneth Cole. You may know him as that cool guy who designed shoes, accessories, and clothing, and they're cool too. Or you may think of him as the provocateur, the advertiser with public service messages and billboards. Or you may think of Kenneth Cole as a phenomenal HIV-AIDS activist. But today, I want us to think of him as a mental health advocate. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Kenneth is very involved in something called the Mental Health Coalition and other initiatives that will destigmatize the way we feel about mental health. And he will talk about that with me. And he is also going to share his five or six or seven things. Greetings from the left coast, if you're wondering or counting. It had been eight months since I last saw, hugged, squeezed, or kissed my exhibits and that baby. And that was just too long. So here I am in a bubble of family, just loving it. Apologies to my friends, but for now, the exhibits are all I can handle. And thinking about that phrase, all I can handle, it's a concept that's kind of new to me. I have always wanted to do everything all the time. More people, more fun, more life, more stuff. I know I'm an extrovert. That happened during college, I guess. And then the interest around the official preppy handbook just insisted I stay that way. I used to love running into my orthodontist, Dr. Brendan Boylan, on the street somewhere in New York. And this was any time between my 20s and my 40s and hear him say, But Lisa, you were always so shy. And he was right. I was shy, essentially. But from the time the preppy book was published in October of 1980 until essentially this pandemic, it has been a busy, busy life and very outgoing. And I became that person, that person who would make a toast, that person who would make a speech, that person that would throw themselves into social and crowded things. Some years have been busier professionally. Some years have been busier personally. But the last 14 or 15 months have kind of stripped away all that busyness, right? And I'm asking myself, how much do I want to do now? Is being busy the same as being fulfilled? To be honest, I don't yearn to return to go out to the movies. I don't feel like eating indoors at restaurants. I don't need to go out all the time. Going to theater, concerts, and museums, yes, those are things I want to do, but I don't want to do everything. We'll see how it all shakes down, I suppose. For now, I continue to stock up on masks and hand sanitizers. Those have become habits. But now, it's time for five things that make my life better. Number one, hugging. Hugging my family. It feels so good. I I can sense the dopamine and oxytocin surging through my body. Not really, but you know what I mean. Number two, trying new foods. Whether it's through recipes or ordering deliveries from restaurants, I'm developing a fondness for spicier food, which is kind of weird, and cauliflower and almond paste, not together. Number three, caring friends. I'm very fortunate to have so many wonderful friends. They know who they are, and they know why I love them. Number four, Pave the Way. I will link you to my website, lisabernbach.com. Pave the Way is both a social movement 
And a jewelry company started by my friend Joan Hornick, who after years in finance pivoted to jewelry design, she pioneered the concept of offering a percentage of profits to charity for everything she sells. But get this, it's 100% of the profits. And the charity is not her charity. It's any charity the customer wants. On her website, Pave the Way, you will see a long list of organizations that have raised money through her sales. And now she's developed a line of whimsically designed and whimsically titled tools encrusted with tiny diamonds to be worn as charms or ear studs. They're the perfect graduation presents that pay it forward. Check out her website. I am truly impressed. And number five, Elta Sunscreen. My dermatologist first told me about this brand. They make a huge range of medically approved sun protection. In New York, I'm not as good about wearing sunscreen all year long, but here in California, I never forget to. Elta is, you can get it tinted, untinted, mineral, not mineral, and whatever else. Coming up, Kenneth Cole. Don't go away. Well, it's nice to talk to my old pal, Kenneth Cole. You know him as the footwear genius, the advertising genius, and most importantly, the husband of Maria Cuomo Cole. He is a golfer. He is a fisherman. He is a good friend. And he is now very actively encouraging all of us to look after our mental health in a program called How Are You Really? and the Mental Health Coalition. Good morning, Kenneth. Good morning, Lisa. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for getting up just in time to uh, have this conversation. Yeah, my pleasure. Now, Kenneth, explain to me how you got involved in mental health, because it's not my first association with you. So as you know, I, my day job is I make and sell stuff, sometimes cooler than others and sometimes in faraway places. And it has enabled me a lot of access and it has enabled me the ability to engage with people I might not otherwise be able to and to do things I might not otherwise have been able to do as well too. So I love what I do. I love the fashion business. A designer is what I do. It's not who I am. But I do feel if I can make what I do part of something bigger than it is, then everything becomes more important. Everything makes more sense. And I've also struggled in a little bit in my life trying to create context for everything because you can't be successful in anything you do in the fashion business or any business unless you give all of yourself to it. And I also think you can't be successful in your personal life unless you give everything to it. And then at the same time, the notion of getting involved in the community. So how do you do all that? And what I have found works for me over the years is kind of merging it all together. And I've tried to engage my family to the degree that I could in what I do. And I've tried to bring community into what I do. And I do believe at the end of the day, and I have said often that what you stand in is not as important as what you stand for, and that what you wear is not as important of what you're aware and what you look like. And the outside ultimately is contextualized by who you are on the inside. So that's ultimately what I did. So I got involved with HIV over 30 years ago, 35 years ago. You were, you were the first by far to try to take the stigma away from HIV AIDS and to raise public awareness and then eventually to raise money and to find a cure. And you were the chairman of AMFAR for a gazillion years. So I got involved with HIV. I did a, a campaign in 1985 that spoke about this devastating new virus, this pandemic much deadlier, by the way, than COVID. 
not as contagious, but much deadlier. And it was frightening and no one would talk about it because the stigma attached to it was devastating. Ronald Reagan, who was president of the United States at the time, didn't mention the word AIDS publicly until 40,000 people had already died. So I decided to do a campaign to speak about what nobody was speaking about. And I got Annie Leibowitz and I got these models in the industry. I had a small little business. I had very little to lose and I didn't know any better. So I did a campaign that spoke about it. And in effect, I guess what people refer to as anti-stigma campaign. And then it changed me. It changed the man, it changed the brand, changed the company. And it, everything seemed more meaningful, more purposeful from that day forward. And I um, continued to do all of the branding and marketing for Amphar and other HIV initiatives over the years, for many years to come. And I accepted the position as chairman of Amphar in 2004 and held it for 14 years. And I do believe we went on and had a positive impact in millions of people's lives. So I stepped back from that a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, two years ago. And then, excuse me, my daughter was the impetus of a lot of this, Amanda. And you know, we set up in the company a stigma-free initiative on mental health because that was something that was very personal to her. And then I had spoken to people at NAMI and they said, but I considered doing a working on a campaign, an anti-stigma campaign on mental health on their behalf. And I thought about it and said, you know what, if I do it, it needs to not just be on your behalf, it needs to be even bigger than that. But I need to know I have your support unequivocally. And they went to the board and we talked about kinds of messaging and they came back and said, we're in. And then we figured, well, let's, if we're going to do this, let's aim as high as you can. And then ultimately, you know, to have the greatest impact you conceivably could make. And then we systematically started calling every important large service provider of mental health services in the country, the top 27. And every one of them said, we're in. So they all said they'll be support a new narrative, a rebranding, so to speak, of mental health. So people sometimes say, well, why you? Why this? As you just said before. And my answer is truthfully, A, I'm not a public health person. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. I don't have the traditional qualifications for any of this. But what I am good at is I'm good at community people. And I am in the perception business. That's kind of what fashion is. And that's what marketing branding is. And that's what I've done. And so um, convening all those resources, including a lot of creative resources, people at Pentagram who are great branding people. I'd worked with them at CFDA and also at Sundance, a board I still sit on. They've done a lot of great branding people out there. They agreed to do all the branding pro bono and other creative agency. Everybody got on pro bono. So you're so, a great marshaller of resources, a great communicator, a great aggregator. That's my role here. So I'm bringing everybody together. And I also take a business approach to everything, kind of an ROI. How do we get a return on involvement, return on investment? And how do we bring resources and how do we realize the most optimal outcomes? So everybody comes together, we work on the campaign, and then we launch it in May on a platform that was designed by another daughter of mine, Katie Cole. And Katie is uh, very inspired by the, the concept and she's very tech enabled more so than her father. And we built a platform that asks the most asked question everywhere in the world in every language in the world every day of the week and the one most rarely answered, which is how are you really? And encouraging people to be vulnerable, to answer that very tough question and encouraging everybody to either be vulnerable or empathetic or anywhere in between, but to engage in the discussion, which people usually are reluctant to do. Well, it's interesting in this country, at least, when you ask somebody, how are you doing? You could be miserable, but the default answer is fine, thanks. How are you? I've heard myself do it many a time. You know, that's what we do. There is a feeling, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, that nobody wants to hear your problems. And often they don't. And then I'm not always sure, even if I thought they did, I was prepared to share them and or at that given moment. It's become kind of a you know, just a passing way of engaging people. 
But the question is, how do you make it more than that? And that's part of what this process is. So Katie set up this platform, howareyoureally.org. You can go on there and you can tell your story if you want to, or you can engage with other people. So that brings on a lot more people into this narrative, into this discussion, into the coalition, so to speak. And then we started working very closely with Facebook and Instagram, and we built out on our website a what we call a resource library. So we took all of our partners and we aggregated all of their resources, and then we invite people to come on and access those resources, learn about those resources in a kind of a very easy, comfortable way with the ultimate goal of marrying all needs to all resources everywhere. So that library will grow exponentially over time. And it's already getting a lot of engagement. And this is what Instagram is using now. If you uh, go to Emotional Health Resource Center is what it is. It's all of our resources. So they're taking our platform and that grows. And then we're launching various programs with them now that introduce this new narrative and this new vocabulary that totally, that's non-clinical and it's non-stigmatized. In fact, it's a visual vocabulary. So it crosses all cultures and all boundaries. You put a color filter over your profile and you let people know how you're feeling at any moment in time. And then you can evolve it and consistently as you want to and share it with who you want to, when you want to. So those two initiatives are underway. In May, we're going to, the whole month of May, another initiative we have is what we call one-to-one. So people will go on live and share their feelings with the person that they often default to, that they speak to, and they're going to do it now for others to partake or to be witness to. And then we'll have a healthcare professional, mental health professional, who will come on to the conversation at the end and contextualize the conversation so people can understand it. And the goal is in May to have these throughout the month. And we're very excited. I actually did a kind of like a test, a beta test of one of these with Chris Cuomo, my brother-in-law, seven weeks ago, which is on both of our Instagram pages if you want to see it. I saw it. And what I found very interesting was how open your brother-in-law was about his struggles and his concerns, much more than you. Much more than me. I've come a long way, but I'm nowhere near where Chris is. And Chris is admirably and articulately able to express himself emotionally, probably as well as any guy I know. And because typically men do not do this well. It's part of our culture. And we are socialized in a way that that is not what men are supposed to do. So I think Chris is a great role model and he's very comfortable sharing his feelings. And I'd say to Chris, how do you do this so effortlessly? It's impressive. And he says, you know, the difference between me and most people is that I don't give a shit what people think, quote unquote, Uh which you'd think in Chris's business that that would be not the case. um, Yeah. That he'd tread a little bit more carefully, but you know, it's also why I guess he's so good at what he does. And Chris, what you see is what you get. So Chris is very comfortable expressing himself. Okay. Time out. Do you become more comfortable, maybe not on camera, not for public, but has he made you more comfortable sharing your feelings when you talk to him alone? Yeah. I mean, Chris is somebody that I'll call because he gets it and he's able to help process it. And he's been a great resource for me. Yes, I'm sure he has brought a lot of other people too. And also you're the father of three daughters. I would think your daughters have been, you mentioned two of them already, have been very helpful to you in your learning how to communicate about emotions. I mean, I'm sure they've come to you in the past and said, daddy, I'm so this or that. I'm sad today. We have to learn how to talk about these things. And also, and I think there's a point you and Chris made, 
you have to learn how to use language meaningfully. Like people use the word depressed very casually. I'm depressed today. Or, oh, I'm so depressed. My cake didn't turn out right. Or I'm depressed. It's raining. But maybe you're just sad. Or maybe you're just, you feel misunderstood. Or maybe you're actually depressed, which is a clinical term. That's part of what's launched part of my journey is I asked five psychiatrists for a definition of depression. I got five different answers. And so the fact is, there isn't a specific singular definition. And none of those answers were empowering and supportive of the individual. So none of which would anybody or should anybody want to comfortably use to express themselves, knowing that you know it doesn't set you up in a comfortable way. So which is also why we felt we needed a whole non-clinical, non-stigmatized mechanism for people to express themselves. And one in 200 people today are still living with HIV, which is a lot of people in the world, which is maybe a close to 40 million people. But one in four, according to WHO, are living with mental health conditions or will have mental health conditions. So we say it's not one in four, it's four in four. Because if it isn't you, it's somebody you love. It's somebody in your family, in the community, in the workplace. But we're all living with it and we're all dealing with it. We're all trying to process it. So in That's my right. case- it's not If it's not you, it's somebody you love and you're trying to protect them. So in my case, my daughters would come to me that ask me questions. I don't have the tools to engage with them. And I don't know, I know a lot more now than I did then, but it was very hard for me to, to be helpful, to be supportive of people in my life who were struggling with this at different points in their journeys. And I feel what this path that we're on is, is critical for everybody. And it's not just regardless of what end of this you're on and from whatever lens through which you're looking at and or engaging with this, it's a critical tool that we all need to somehow get into uh, to understand the and to process. Now, what's interesting is, if I understand this correctly, the genesis of these two initiatives, How Are You Really? and the Mental Health Coalition, began before the pandemic hit. Well, we launched How Are You Really? during the pandemic ah. in May, and the Mental Health Coalition began before that. We accelerated everything when the pandemic came, because to the degree you accept that it's everybody, four and four, the pandemic comes and it's five out of four. All bets are off. Uh, or yeah. six out of four. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, also, it's also your pets. It's everybody now <laughs> is, is overwhelmed by My, my pet is depressed. Yeah, I know. Seriously, I see ads on the internet constantly for anti-anxiety beds for dogs. I mean, if this isn't happening for real, it's the greatest marketing ever to assume that we're all suffering in some way. This is a difficult so, time. Yeah, no doubt about it. And it's changed all of our lives. I mean, this is a whole other conversation, the, the pandemic, but it's changed my business. We're selling more masks and PPE products and right. face shields which by the way, we make the single best mask in the market and it's been rated as such by everybody. And I, that's what I focused on when I realized that people didn't need anything that we had on our website and anything that we had in our <laughs> stores, which is very sobering. But I was hoping they wanted it, but nobody needed it. And we're going through a time during COVID where everything is about what do I need? And it's about not what looks good, but what feels good. So we refocused and, and we make these face shields, which has totally changed our business model in many ways. So people are in crisis, and I do believe mental health was at pandemic levels before COVID, and it is going to be so much greater and so much more devastating at the end of the day than what COVID will be in and of itself, and it will yeah. long survive COVID, and we need to come to terms with it. Yeah, it's absolutely right. The number of articles I read with headlines about mental health issues spiking over COVID, 
adolescents who were already, I think, besieged by what social media does to their social lives have had it worse. They're miserable because they can't see their friends, normal social development. My own, is he my nephew? He couldn't be my grandson. Well, whatever. That child has never met another child. He's almost two years old, but everybody's sequestered. So it's tough. And I think you're right. It will outlast the day when this disease is defeated. I want to know in terms of very specific help, if you are needy, and you cannot afford to see a therapist, you don't know how to find a therapist, you don't know what kind of help you need, is there a resource to use on your website for that? I think you can start there. I mean, there's lots of resources out there, and that's one of the problems, though, because you can go to 50 websites to try to process all this, and there's some ways for you to self-diagnose and we'll have those tools up soon as well. And they exist on different sites out there. But I think that everybody needs somebody to talk to, I think, at the end of the day. And that's... Well, yes. Um, Don't you think the loneliness of shutting in and the social isolation has contributed to mental distress? It has. I do think that's a big part of it. Katie actually got a dog during COVID, and she wanted to name the dog Cleo. I wanted her to name it Quarantina. And, but I think she compromised and the dog is Cleo Quarantine at home. And probably the dog lives with you, so you win anyway. <laughs> well, now the dog is with her. So, ah. uh, but hopefully we'll have custody on occasion. <laughs> well, I want to say I've been on the site. I listened to your conversation. It's beautifully designed, the website. It does look like it's enticing, even if you have if you have a therapist that you go to or you are a therapist, it still seems like a very rich resource for a lot of people. And you're not messing around, Kenneth, and I really appreciate that. Well, I just think if you can make what you do in the ordinary course part of something bigger than it is, we all win. So it's something I've always tried to do. And I'm very fortunate on several occasions that I've had the ability to hopefully make a meaningful impact in people's lives. And it makes what I do, you know, every day that much more important and fulfilling. So I appreciate that I can do it. I thank you, Lisa, for all that you do and your friendship and the opportunity to talk about it. Well, before you go, you have to give me your five things that make your life better because this Uh, is all part of the uplift. We're trying to get people, when they listen to this podcast, feel good about their lives, which is what I'm told they do. So your list, your your five (laughs) things, which is actually, you know, seven. Uh, I'm very bad at math. It's probably five. I actually narrowed it down to five. It's so, uh, it's fine. Let's go to however you want to do it. Number right, one. So the first one I guess should be mental health coalition. I think right now it's made me a better person and I appreciate the opportunity to do it. But I then should quickly go to family because that is basically the platform that enables me to do everything in my life. And that makes me by far the biggest person and my wait, 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 wife. wait. Don't you're going very fast. Num- we're still going to make number one your family and you okay. can make your wonderful wife the star of that or you can make her another number. I don't know. Your wife right. makes my life better too. Right. So Maria and family are number one. And I put in meditation because that's ultimately kind of a way to escape for moments of time to uh, process it all. Wait, uh, hold and- it. Time out. Yes. You meditate? Don't tell anyone. Yes. Really? I'm not not meditating as we speak, though. No, I know. I can tell. But do you really meditate every day? I do. I do. I meditate every day, sometimes twice. 
And a favorite adage of mine is that you should meditate 20 minutes a day. And if you don't have enough time, you should do it for an hour. Um, <laughs> but I do think it kind of helps calm things for me and helps me focus. So I do that. That's number two. And then number three is the Mental Health Coalition. I also believe, by the way, I did a book years ago on awareness, ordinary stories about extraordinary individuals. And it was 100 people who told, in 500 words or less, told their stories. And at the end of the day, everybody agreed that the person who serves is invariably the biggest beneficiary of their efforts. And I do feel in many ways that I am so much a better person for all that I'm able to do. So yes. that is the Mental Health Coalition. And number three is... Number four. Days, Number four, actually, is 4A and 4B. So um, 4A is, a, is my vaccine, being, having been vaccinated. It's the only time I have felt good about being a little older. Um, that I qualify. <laughs> that you to, qualify. To, to, to and then the perfect mask, which also is COVID-specific, but um, and our ability to do PPE products. Now, wait, wait, um, wait, wait. Time out. The perfect mask that you make, is this the one with a straw? With a little Velcroed slit for a straw? Yeah, we have that. That's part of it. That's one of the perfect mask collection where you can keep your mask on on an airplane and you can stay protected and you can consume the beverage of your choice. And then we have these other masks that are temperature control and they're waterproof and they're six layers of protection. So you can wear it outdoors when it's cold and indoors when it's warm because, it, again, it's perfect. Um, because it's, it's perfect. perfect. It's the platonic definition of perfection. Yes, we are imperfect, but it is perfect. Correct. And then the, my last choice is bacon. I, I guess that needs no explanation. <laughs> yes. So I think that rounds out my five choices. Knowing you as I have done, I would say that's you to a T. So yes. I want to say thank you, Kenneth. It's always good to hear from you and your public works do benefit the rest of us. And I have been very moved by the amount of effort you have put into them. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you, thank you for helping me tell my story over the years and your friendship and Michael for his. Thank you. And I'm very happy to uh, impose my story upon your listeners. Thank um, you. When they hopefully they least expect it. <laughs> You've been listening to Five Things That Make Life Better with me, Lisa Birnbach. My guest this week has been Kenneth Cole. You can find him on Twitter at Kenneth Cole. It, it's, no, it's the real Kenneth Cole. The real Kenneth Cole. That's the man. There's also the brand is Kenneth Cole. But then right. on Twitter and Instagram. and Except no and, substitutes. And Clubhouse, by the way. Now I'm trying to learn how to do Clubhouse. Oh. So you can see me there, the man, not the brand. And I'm going to start talking about mental health stuff there as well, too. Oh, excellent. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. My blog is at lisabernbach.com where you'll find links and photos to all the things in this program. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com. My engineer is Kevin Watkins. My team is Spresso Rucci, Michael Port, Poco Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, wear a mask and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.